I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Je m'appelle Chris Afriz, et c'est le podcast du Gidecolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. What is up, Podcast Nation? Welcome back to my show. It's called the Holistic OBGYN because we don't just talk about like the basic stuff around the uterus and the cervix and babies being born. That stuff's awesome. I love it so much. That's why I do what I do. There are other elements, though, of the human experience, specifically the experience of a woman as they go through these archetypal transformations throughout their life. You're born, you develop into this young maiden as you reach puberty. And now that you're in your reproductive years, you're kind of trying to figure that out. And then you transform through birth into a mother, your second major archetype. And then you're playing this role of mother. You're still so sexually present, even if the media and the surrounding society doesn't let you believe that you're still a sexual being. But you continue to foster that sexuality. You're working on your relationship. Your kids are growing up and then they fly the coop. And now you're free to fully embody the queen or the empress archetype. And you go through the next 10, 20 years embodying the most energetic, the most sexual, the most powerful archetype that you've yet embodied. And then you approach your 50s and you start to have these hot flashes and your period starts to go a little out of whack. You're no longer fully in attunement with the 13 new moon phases during the year. And you embark into your final transition from the empress, from the queen to the crone, where you're now the wise woman. And you're looking all the way back to that time when you were a maiden and you were the mentor who used to be the mentee and you're working your way up. And this entire time, you're embodying the spirit of Aphrodite, the spirit of the divine feminine in just slightly different configurations. Well, my guest on this episode of the podcast is Amy Fournier, who is a woman that I met through the Czech tribe. If you don't know the Czech Institute, go check it out. The Czech community, the Czech family is doing quite a remarkable thing in the holistic lifestyle coaching space. And Amy is no exception. Amy is a coach herself. She has a history of some pretty extreme athletic and sort of life pursuits. So as she's starting to make this transformation into the crone, into the wise woman, I wanted to bring her onto the show to share some of her insights. And she delivers in the way that Amy Fournier can deliver. I'm so stoked for this episode. I'll let the rest of this conversation speak for itself. But I want to add that these transitions throughout life are just as important for us to be discussing as the moment of birth, the moment of death, and everything that happens in between. As always, there's a couple sponsors who help to make this show possible. It's quite expensive to have a podcast of this high caliber. I mean, I'm going to brush some dust off my shoulder here. And so thankfully, I've got three great companies that have 
come on board in order to help me promote the good word of the good Amy Fournier. The first is full well fertility. It's hands down my favorite prenatal vitamin on the market. And if you don't really believe that there's a difference, just go to like your local, whatever, CVS or fancy grocery store, go to Whole Foods, whatever, and look at the various labels of these prenatal vitamins. There's so much extra stuff added and the nutrient content of these vitamins is not even close to what you would find in Full Well's vitamin. Not only that, but they just released a fish oil and fish oil is extremely important to your developing fetus. Your entire nervous system is fat. It's made up of fatty acids and we can support the development of a healthy nervous system and really a healthy fetus as a whole with the intake of a very, very healthy non-rancid fish oil. So if you want to try out Fullwell's product lineup, they've got a men's virility vitamin. They've got Nourish Nerves, their nervous system tonic. Go to fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10. You'll save 10% on your entire purchase. And I don't think you're going to look back. You don't really need much more than Fullwell in your life if you're already eating a healthy lifestyle. This isn't your insurance policy, but it is a hell of a good use of your dollars if you're going to be taking a prenatal vitamin and you don't want all of the extra added fillers and other junk that's put into most commercial brands. Our next sponsor is Organifi. Organifi is one of my favorite brands around. They make a, an entire product line from glyphosate-free, a non-GMO, USDA organic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, ingredients. And their new release this fall is their turmeric-infused latte with a twist. It's formerly called Gold. They just re released their Organifi Pumpkin Spice Latte Blend, which is basically the same as your Organifi Gold Latte, but with a couple little extra ingredients. So you're going to get the antioxidant-rich. How can you describe the flavor of turmeric? It's a zing. Turmeric has a zing. I'm going to put my name on that one. It has lemon bulb. It has some coconut milk. It has a couple functional mushrooms. It is all around an incredible superfood in and of itself. But with this special blend, they're adding allspice, clove, nutmeg. You're going to have a perfect pumpkin spice latte. And what I recommend doing is adding some hot water, adding some whole fat organic coconut milk, blending it up with one of those little foamers, and then sitting down and watching your favorite show night. This is what I do every night, and I've been sleeping like a baby. It's such a great treat at the end of the night. So if you want to try any of Organifi's product lineup, of course, I'd love it if you tried their pumpkin spice latte so you can report back as to how amazing it is, go to Organifi.com slash beloved and you'll be able to save 20% on your purchase. And remember, all the purchases from these product lines, the commissions from that actually go back. They're small, but they make a big difference. They go back into supporting the production of the show. So please go to Organifi.com slash beloved and you can try out their gold pumpkin spice latte. My next and final sponsor of the show is Immune Intel AHCC, my main man and main woman, Mimi Lindquist and Chase Ramey. They've put together this incredible product, which AHCC stands for Active Hexose Correlated Compound. And it's best known in my community as a means of clearing out persistent HPV infections. And a persistent HPV infection can lead to cervical cancer. So a lot of women are really interested in this product. And a lot of men who are carrying HPV, you can help to clear that from your system as well by simply starting a course of their immune intel. It does this by improving immune surveillance. There's these specific cells, namely NK cells and T cells, that actually help to 
clear viruses from our system. And remember, a virus is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a message from outside. Your body is supposed to integrate that message and then move forward. But if your body's unable to integrate the message due to a poor immune response, you can end up actually developing pathology, hence cervical cancer coming from HPV. So by enhancing not just the communication between these cells, but actually the overall number of these cells, you're going to have a more robust immune response, better integration of the message that is the virus, and help clear that virus so that you don't develop disease down the road. It also helps regulate your stress hormones and it decreases systemic inflammation, which can be reflected in lower CRP, that C-reactive protein in the body. But it's not just for HPV. It can be used for a variety of things like Lyme, like liver disease. It helps with clearing out those cancerous cells that are in your body. Everybody has cancer cells. Your immune system is just keeping them in check and saying, nope, you're acting out of order and kind of kicks them out of the tribe. So there is a wide variety of uses. If you want to try Immune Intel HCC, go to themedicine.com. In their medicine cabinet, you will find this product and the code for that product to get 10% off is Beloved10. I can't recommend these three products enough. I think you're going to like it. I will put all the links for all three companies in the show notes, which you can find at BelovedHolistics.com. And I have chatted enough. Let's get into my interview with the one and only Amy Fournier. Welcome to the show, Amy. You and I, we have such a flow that we already started talking. And it was one of those things where it's like, let me just hit record because there's going to be some good stuff here. We were just talking about medicine journeys. So you were saying that you've never had an easy journey, let's just say. Yes. Do you feel comfortable sharing? I sure do. Yes. Plant medicines. Let me see. I'm smart enough to know that it's probably something, you know, everyone has to make their own decisions, but I know enough about myself to know, I know there's some dark stuff in there for me. I've been holding on to some stuck programming, some blocks, some literal memory blocks of big periods in my life disassociations. I've been through different therapies about it. I did a whole episode on my show about the trauma that I had to resolve. It was a part of me ended up hiring Paul. Long story short is I knew that plant medicines could possibly help me access and heal these very deep subconscious parts of me. Cause that's the thing about your subconscious is it's subconscious. Like if you could change it with will, you would like, no one wants to, you know, carry around this baggage in their lives willingly. Right. But sometimes we need like a midwife, (laughs) if you will, to help us access it. So I knew that I should probably venture into plant medicine to see if those would be an avenue that would help me access and heal. And to your point in so far in my experience, yeah, I haven't had a wonderful experience yet. You know, I've heard so many great things about people getting, especially with ayahuasca, getting downloads for their life mission. Right, right. Grandmother rocking them and singing to them. And it's just so beautiful. (laughs) The gates open, it's crystal clear. This is what you should be doing. I'm like, yes, that's what I want. Because I mean, most of my life I've been like, what is my mission? Because I always knew I was here for something, which is something we can talk about later. But anyway, (laughs) needless to say, I haven't had a good experience yet. Paul, my friend slash coach slash mentor, and I kind of get into this a little bit about... No stranger to the show, Paul Check, one of our mutual friends. You've known him for a lot longer, but continue. (laughs) Yes, yes. So he's always been my guide in this because he certainly is my elder in that regard, every regard. 
But, you know, the main thing, just to make the point for people is, you know, plant medicines is something that is to be held in high regard and with respect as all types of medicine, food, drug, whatever it may be. And that set and setting is critical. And from what I do know with my experience with plant medicine, I would never want to be one of these people that jump on a plane and go down to South America and do one of these group camps things. And I know I've done some out there. breath work. Yeah. And it's like, it can be traumatic. And like, if there's a lot of external dialogue going on, I mean, being safe, feeling safe, anytime you're accessing your subconscious or deep blocks or anything deeply emotional. I'm sure you know. Yeah. Heck with your work with birth and death. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the feeling of safety is paramount to all healing and all ability to access these deeper, sensitive, vulnerable parts of ourselves. And yeah. let me tell you, plant medicine is right up yeah. with the need to be safe. Yeah. And Paul provided that is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I was just before I was you know, smart enough, you know, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Let's just be clear. <laughs> I was like, uh, I better start recording this. But right before I hit record, we were talking about Paul's birthday where you and I never met each other, but there was like a hundred of the most incredibly warm, accomplished and open-hearted, open-minded, vivacious. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just lively people at Paul's 60th Loving. birthday party, which was Gosh, she's coming up on 61 now. We need to throw so him another be two party. Two years, Nathan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no, not, not two years. Was it two years ago? I think so. Yeah. It was last summer. Yes. His birthday's August. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So after his party, a couple of friends stuck around and we did this really deep dive. And while we're all, including, I won't use any names because I'm not at liberty to say that, but many people probably can imagine who was there knowing Paul Check, but. I was one of those fortunate few that got to go into ceremony with him. And I've done some deep dives and this one glued me to the floor. I couldn't even get out to our mandala seating area outside. I was like on the carpet, vomiting on their poor carpet. I couldn't get up. So Sounds like me. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's what happens to me, Nathan. I yeah. can't move. I get paralyzed. It's like you're on an elevator that's like falling just and you just want to latch down. onto the walls. Like, maybe this will keep me safe. <laughs> I can't move a limb. I'm like you. I'm like, I can't lift my arm. Like, yeah. if I have an itch on my head, I can't move. I can't move. I am glued here. And I'm the same way. You know, it's like, there's no way to escape this. Meanwhile, and like, you know, there's only four or five of us. But meanwhile, the head honcho, Mr. Birthday Boy, is walking around banging a drum, quoting Carl Jung. He's like, woo, that's some good medicine, boys. And it was like... <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? I mean, like, I haven't known him for very long, but holy smokes, it was like, how are you <laughs> not, like, doing <laughs> what I'm doing? It was just wild. So this guy, Paul, you got to know him. You hired him as a coach. Somebody who has that depth of experience makes a very good mentor and coach, which, you know, he serves that role for me as well as a mentor. Very blessed. What was it that you worked with Paul on, if you care to share? And if not, maybe just describe the process. Okay. Well, basically it was a midlife crisis, Nathan. Basically I've known Paul about three decades. He was an instrumental part in my launch into the holistic health and wellness career. I started way back when as a, an aerobics instructor in the eighties with Jane Fonda and thong leotards and leg warmers and all that. Oh, the leotards, music. the thong that leotards. We're going to, oh, yeah. we're going to put mm -hmm. that photo up as the promotional photo of Amy. Some. <laughs> okay. From the front. <laughs> okay. Right. 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 Not from the back. Right. And no mirrors behind you. We'll just That's blur right. that out. That's right. That's right. Oh, I can tell you some stories about some of my outfits going, uh, let's say wardrobe malfunction. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. 
that's another story. Yep. But that started my career and basically just because I was always an athlete. And back in my day, they didn't have women's collegiate sports that were on the level they are today. And they certainly didn't have women in the Olympics other than like swimming or, you know, like, I don't know, volleyball maybe. But, you know, like I played competitive sports as a woman, but there was no future in it. There was no professional like you get paid as a career. What were you playing? What sports just out of curiosity? A lot of mean, I played ice hockey. No kidding. My main one was soccer. Soccer was my soccer. main. I played everything though. I got recruited for softball into high school and soccer as well, but really every sport, even basketball is a little short, but I played point guard and yeah. So Steph Curry always, of, uh, yeah. <laughs> always an athlete, but again, long story short, I had to parlay that athleticism into something once I was going into college. Cause I remember college was like, I'm not going to choose a college based on their sports because once I graduate, then what? You know what I mean? So I went into teaching aerobics. And that's what really was a big part of my getting into health and fitness, but also two other parts, my own physical health challenges, as many people in our yeah. field, you know, yeah. and my father, my father struggled with cancer. Mm. So we were in very much the alternative, which I hate that term because it's not alternative. It's just away. It's just another way. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so that was a big part of it and the personal training. And then the personal training is what got me exposure to Paul and the Czech Institute and his teachings started down the holistic nature, which so made sense because, you know, the mind, body, spirit, we can't separate it. You know, everybody knows the story. So the rest is history. But to your point, well, I basically had a version of a midlife crisis a few years back. And even though I knew Paul personally and professionally, I one day reached out to Penny, one of his wives, and said, Penny, you know, does Paul have room in his schedule for me? I think I really need him. I'm going down. Mm. <laughs> and so he took me on. And actually, there's a story of it, episode 100, where he came on my show for the 100th anniversary. We tell the story because he talks about how he was waiting for me to contact him in that regard, because we have a soul contract, you know, and we both knew it when we met, but there was something that deja vu, that familiarity with somebody that means something, you know, that you've only known them a little bit, but there's a comfort level where you can truly take off any mask and be heart vulnerable and seen and see them. And it's comfortable or 10 years have gone by and you pick up where you left off, you know, those type of synchronicities and connections are soul connections. And I'm so blessed, Nathan, that I had that with Paul. So he was waiting for me, which made me feel better. And that's what started him helping me basically get back to Amy. I lost myself. I lost myself in my life. And he was a big part of me now pivoting this huge pivot, which coincidentally corresponded right with the pandemic timing of a few years ago, because that was the catalyst that had me close my holistic lifestyle club in Massachusetts. And I pivoted my career and I started my podcast. And then when I started my podcast, it's really what, for the first time in my life, Nathan, enabled me to follow my souls telling me what it was interested in rather than being a good girl and trying to help others and giving others what I thought they needed or they were asking me that they wanted. So me being the martyr, you know, like we're just trying to be good people and, you know, contribute to the world. It's all beautiful intention, 
But you know what they say, the road to hell is paved by good intentions. <laughs> so in the meanwhile, I was sacrificing myself and I'm like, Jesus, I'm not a martyr. And that's where Paul started teaching me about archetypes. And I'm like, I don't want to be that one anymore. I pick another one. I'm, I'm moving up. <laughs> These underwear are all shredded and there's yeah, holes, exactly. the tags all worn out. I need exactly. some new underwear. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. Let me ask you something that I haven't actually asked somebody on the show, but I think it's relevant because people reach out to me all the time and I'm sure that you get this as well. People hear the word holistic. And even that word, I'm almost like, do we need to get a new word? Mm -hmm. Because what people think about holistic is they think it's natural. It's prescriptive, but it's natural. So instead of taking the pill, you're going to take this herbal supplement or something that's even more expensive than the pill. So there's a bit of a, I don't know, a confounding of this term holistic. You and I both, I'm sure, have an equal understanding. But can you tell everybody, what do you mean when you use the word holistic? That's a great question. And it could be a very, very deep answer. I would say just off the top of my head, it just means all inclusive. It just means, you know, there's nothing that we leave out, you know, everything it's all one. It all contributes in some regard, you know, well, of course the mind, body, spirit thing, but you know, we get the different seven levels of the body. I mean, you got the underworld, the middle world, the upper world. I mean, how big do you want to take it? You know? Yeah. It's everything because, you know, the universe, the one verse, right? The all from one, the omnipotent God, Godhead, creatrix, creator, whatever you want to call it, all from the same source, right? So it's all one. And we've all heard that expression. We are one. It's harder to really conceptualize logically, but it's just that concept that it's all related. And, you know, the butterfly effect, right? Like if, you know, a butterfly flaps its wings in Africa, does it affect Oklahoma, you know, two months later? Yes. Like it's all connected in some regard, even if our brains are limited as to really conceptualizing and understanding how is that even possible? Beautiful. But to me, holistic is that it's like, there's really nothing we would leave out. Like it does matter that your child is upset at school and one of their friends is bullying them. That is going to affect the way you do your job. I mean, it's just, just a silly example, you know, and then that's going to affect how you eat that day and your stress response. And what your brain is thinking about, which is the law of attraction and then your energy field. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it all matters. Right. And, you know, back in my day, probably like you, you've been doing this as long as I have in your field, you know, we didn't, well, at least I, we weren't really given permission to kind of go into those realms. It was more like stay in your lane. Right. And I think you got that too, you know, oh, like yeah. Yeah. they didn't want, you know, everybody specializes. Right. But now we know better. It's like, one of my favorite analogies from Paul, and I always say Paul is the king of analogies, which is he why- really is, man. Right? Yeah. Nathan, that's why he's such a good teacher, because yeah. he can take these really complicated concepts and he makes an analogy, which is brilliant. He makes the unfamiliar familiar. Hmm. So he relates it to something that the person can relate to so they understand it better. But one of my favorite analogies of his is when he explains hormones, like stress response, emotions, Right. To a spider web, what part of the spider web doesn't move when you touch it with your finger? The whole thing, mm-hmm. right? So a hormone, your cholesterol, your cortisol, your progesterone, pick it, is going to affect everything. So we can't isolate the body like that. And you take a medication for your heart. Is it not going to affect your ear? Yes, it is because you're all one unit. So anyway, I just like that analogy of the spider web. People remember it's all affected. Totally. Yeah. The definition that I even have it in my 
Instagram profile because I realized this is important for people to remember. This is not just natural. Yes. The definition of holism that I have there, it's the shortest, most condensed version I could find. Parts of a whole cannot exist independently of the whole. So when we talk about holistic lifestyle coaching, which is what we learn through Paul in the Czech Institute, etc., is yes, there's the physical, but there's also the mental, emotional, spiritual levels. There's this sort of uh, collective consciousness that is not just some platitude we can use in a coffee shop to show how you know, spiritually enlightened we are. It's actually a very real thing as a healer, as a person who is serving somebody coming to them for healing. If we're only looking at the physical without considering that there are all of these other bodies that govern over the physical and govern over one another, they're all connected within one another. So if we're only looking at the physical, whether it's natural, pharmaceutical, whatever else, we're still missing the big picture. So I appreciate you expanding on that a little bit with me. 100%. And I'll just add too, natural. A lot of people are using the natural in the same methodology as the conventional. They're just like applying an herb or whatever to treat something like a laser rather than looking at, you know, everything. And one of the areas, and I know we don't want to get on a tangent, but I'll just say really gets me is like mental, emotional health and, you know, mood disorders and, you know, these psychologists and whatnot, because I know from firsthand experience, even in my own family, they they don't even ask people about their diet, their sleep, their exposure to EMFs. Give me a break. That's not affecting the way they feel. I know if I go one night, like, okay, Nathan, part of it's your problem. Okay. Because you got me watching (laughs) the birthing videos. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Because you got me watching. I'm addicted to these. I'm watching them multiple times. I get so upset. I know we can talk about it, but the business of birth control, the business of birthing. Thank you, by the way, for turning me on to them. They're phenomenal. Everybody's got to watch them. What happens is Nathan is the only time I've been able to watch them is at night after work. So that's what I'm getting at as I'm streaming them on my computer. So I got my blue blockers <laughs> on, but it's still keeping me up at night, but it's yeah. well worth it. But anyway, just my point is, is even like a few nights of watching those very important documentaries, it screwed me up for the day. I found the next day I was eating ice cream, like by the tub. And I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. So give me a break. It doesn't matter. It does matter. We have to ask these holistic questions of our friends, family, patients, whatever, because how can all that not be contributing to what's happening for people? Yeah. You know, we never really did a formal introduction of who you are and what you're doing. You've been on this journey. Tell everybody what your practice is now. Are you still working with clients? And is your podcast really your primary focus? Tell people a little bit about how you're spending your time. Okay, great. Well, my main shtick right now is definitely Awakening Aphrodite, my podcast, without a doubt. It's my baby. It's my heart and soul. Like I said, I had this huge pivot. I used to have a holistic health club in Massachusetts and we closed it at the pandemic. And that was a big shift for me. Man, what a bummer. Yeah, I've been a fitness and yoga instructor, dance instructor most of my adult life since the late 80s. And I also teach online. I have an online on-demand library of classes I add to every week. It's just a whole mishmash of everything. I'm basically certified in like everything, you know, (laughs) know, strength, yoga, dance, everything. Embodiment method, like Michaela Boehm's work with nonlinear movement method, different types of therapy, mobility, Tai Chi, I learned from Paul, all that stuff. But the podcast is my main thing. And then I have my women's circle, which right now is online, which is beautiful. And that is in anticipation of one day when I can again hold my in-person events and retreats. That's what I'm working on. I'm working on finding my home. 
my dream home, my sanctuary. I've been looking for two years and it will be a hybrid between where I live and commune with the land and heal myself and create a sanctuary where others can come and work with me and live with me and learn what I do. And I can bring in experts like you to teach us for retreats and events and hopefully hold my classes. I love teaching dance and all this women's movement. So that's where I'm going, but we do have the online women's circle and I am taking on select private clients as well for online coaching because I've been getting a lot of requests and I really resisted it for a long time, but I feel like Nathan, I'm kind of getting resourced again to be ready. I just didn't have it to give between the podcast and everything else going on, but I guess I'm feeling like it feels good. That might be nice to do. I have to always catch myself because like you, when you're in a service role and health service mindset, when you see a need, it's really hard to say no. Yeah. Right. Like this is a big lesson I have spiritually. I've had to learn these boundaries of setting boundaries. Right. Like where's me and you, you know, and where's my self-preservation and my self-care and not feeling bad about meeting my own needs, you know, and disappointing you and bearing the brunt of you being upset, you being hurt, you, whatever, pushing back against me and holding my boundary. Like, no, I need to do this for me and not feel like I have to earn it either. Like, well, I've worked so hard. I deserve this, you know? So this is a whole convoluted thing, but something that I've been working through myself, but I'm getting there. Yeah. And it's something that I definitely wanted to ask you about was for people like us, I mean, everybody out in the world is in yang excess. We're all being incentivized to be more productive, to build bigger things, which is why when we're going to talk about archetypes and transitions in life, but when you retire, this word retirement is scary to people because if you're not producing, then you're not valuable. And if you're not valuable, then what do we do with you? We push you away into an old person's home so you can play pickleball until you drop dead someday in your 80s or something like that. That's kind of the typical American story. So what can we bring, perhaps, you know, to somebody listening who finds themselves in this yang excess, which I think comes with the unfortunate side effect of not being able to, it's not side effect, it's actually because of our inability to set clear boundaries, especially in the healing arts. What have you done, instead of just continuing on this yang excessive journey, what have you done to actually embrace and nourish the yin in Amy? Such a million dollar question. And unfortunately for me, I'm a slow learner. I had to get a brick fall on my head. And like I said, have to hire someone to help me and dig me out of a big hole because I hit such bottom. I just Paul says the pain teacher is going to keep knocking. You're going to have to answer the door eventually. (laughs) Took me out. Talk about being out for plant medicine. I was just, you know, don't want to be too dramatic, but I was really like done, you know? So unfortunately, to answer your question for me, it took that level of, you know, it basically had to get so bad that I would do anything. So, you know, all these people that have trouble making change, quote unquote, and doing it, what is they know they should or got to do or whatever. I always think, well, you know what? They're not in enough pain yet because when you get to be, yeah, when you get to be in enough pain, you'll do anything, anything. And for me, I'm pretty strong willed and I had to get that bad. So I had to be open to another way, just another way. And it started with little things like every morning going out barefoot on the ground and doing some movement like Qigong or Tai Chi, which is just basically rhythmic movement with breath. 
really connecting to nature. For me, Nathan, a big part, which is a big part of my work now with women, is teaching us embodiment and getting into our five senses or six senses or seven senses, however sure. many you have access to. I have about 11 or so. No, I'm You probably do. <laughs> no. You're a master plant medicine guy. So <laughs> I'm no, sure I'm, you've I'm been only in, teasing. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Yeah. But that was huge for me. It sounds so minor, but let me tell you, well, I lived decades without living Mm. in Mm. my body, like without using my sense of smell, my hearing, my feeling. Like when was the last time you're outside, you actually consciously became aware of the wind on your skin, the feeling. Like we don't even notice it. The sheets on your skin in the morning. Thank you. First thing in the morning. Yeah, I totally hear that. Little things. Like we just miss all this stuff because why? Our brain is so overdeveloped and so focused and so linear and logical and we're up here between the ears. We've turned off so much of our body's ability to connect with these other realms and talents and input and sensations. So to answer your question, that was a big part for me was utilizing all my other senses on a daily basis from moment to moment, taking two extra seconds in the morning when I drank my tea to smell it as I lifted it up to my lips. I never did that before. I would just down it. Oh, I need some green tea. I'm tired. Whatever. You know, like, no. Smell the matcha. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Feel the warm cup in your hand. Take a moment. Feel it. I literally got into my body more on a daily basis, which was the doorway that opened up this whole realm of this other part of me, the feminine part, the feeling, the sensate part, which was critical to get out of my head. Because like so many women, which is a big part of my show and my work, we live in our heads and we wonder why we're stressed out or we're just not fulfilled or we're just not happy or we can't ever really feel like we really got it all going on on a deep level, you know, because something's missing. Yeah. Yeah. So I suspect I'm not a rocket scientist, as I've already mentioned, but I suspect that the title of your podcast is very apropos for this transition that you went through. Tell me about the name of your podcast. It's Awakening Aphrodite. Tell me about why you chose that name. Yes. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It's basically because I feel like I lived the first half of my life predominantly in my masculine principle, my masculine essence. And like we always say, you know, masculine and feminine is not a gender. It's a principle. It's a principle in the universe of the great polarities, you know, the yin and the yang and the duality of all of life. And for me, like regardless of your biological, physiological gender, as you know, we all have the each essence in ourselves, the X and the Y chromosomes and different aspects of the masculine feminine in us. And it's just a matter of degree who has a little bit more of one than the other. And for me, I just was not in balance. And yeah. that is a symptom of the shadow is that when the polarities are out of balance is when you get into problems. So I was over-masculinized in that I was living from my head, you know, and I was very ambitious. I still am very ambitious. I still, like I said, I have to always pull it back, pull it back. But now it's just getting easier for me as I've been doing it more, you know, it feels better for me. And I'm, I get signals from my body a lot clearer, a lot sooner before I get to burnout, which is great. So I'm learning. But I just was living in my logical push it, you know, nose to the grindstone, you know, analytical self. 
out of good intentions, but at the expense of the whole other half of myself. So the name of my show, Awakening Aphrodite, well, most people are aware with the amazing Greek goddess Aphrodite, who's the goddess of love and beauty, but she's also the goddess of relationships and relating. And she's the goddess that holds the mirror. And she holds the mirror, Nathan, not because she's vain and she wants to look at her beauty, but because she symbolizes the importance of self-reflection. The important, just like the moon, the moon is the feminine principle to the sun, the masculine, the, the need for all of us to take a pause, to stop all the action, to pull back, to go into the feminine and reflect and to process and to receive and to just sit and gestate. That's the feminine. That Love whole that. part of being was not in my lexicon. Like that just never happened. It was push it, push it, push it. If you want to make it happen, you got to be the one that makes it happen. You know, like all that. So I named my show that because for the symbolism of Aphrodite, everything she embodied, the feminism of Aphrodite, I liked how it was awakening because for me, she was always there. I had to awaken her. It wasn't the birthing of Aphrodite. It was, you know, bringing her back from her slumber, you know? So there's a lot of reasons for that name, but also because people are familiar with it. And sometimes women get attracted to it, I think in all honesty, because the power of the goddess and wanting to be attractive and beautiful and feminine and have that sexual libido and power. And, you know, I think we'd be lying if everybody said they didn't want that a little bit, right? And, you know, sure, what's wrong with that? But she's much more than just a pretty face. You know, she's much more than that because again, she's the goddess of love and relationships. And at the end of the day, that's what all of life is about. Love and relationships. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I think that it's a perfect title for your show because of, you know, you mentioned this before, but the best, I don't know, practitioners, you know, when you finish your school and your training and all that other stuff, let's say you're a doctor. When you finish medical school, you don't know shit about the practice of medicine. When you finish residency, you know even less about medicine. You know how to keep people from dying, but you actually haven't set forth into that domain where you can utterly fail. Perhaps a patient dies. In my world, maybe a baby dies. This is all a part of that experience. And we have to go through these transitional periods. We have to hit you know, rock bottom in some cases before we can pull ourselves up and then turn our attention to somebody else and care for them. But how many people in the you know healing professions, their coaches, whatever else, they're like 25, they're ripped, they're always out on the beach doing this workouts and stuff. They're now going to help somebody get healthy. Well, in some ways, yes, maybe. But the best practitioners out there have been broken down to a point where they have to build themselves back up and then help somebody else perhaps avoid those pitfalls or rebuild themselves for themselves. You know, based on this experience, here's what I can offer to you. So many of us, including Paul, you know, he's been wrecked in his life in a variety of ways. You know, we won't even get into it, into his story because he talks about it on his podcast all the time. But the reason he's so good as a therapist, whether it's from the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual side, is because he has made a lot of mistakes and he has found himself broken and he has had to rebuild himself from there. But that's not possible unless we can reflect on our journey and really look you know, in Carl Jung's words, look into the shadow and actually go into that space where we don't want to go, admit that we were wrong, admit that we maybe don't have the answer, 
and then to build from there. So I feel like Aphrodite is a perfect reflection of that process for us as practitioners and the people that we hope to serve. Well, she's certainly my lighthouse. She's my goal, my aspiration. You know, she's the pull for me. And to your point, I totally get what you're saying because now I've realized as I'm entering another phase of my life that, you know, the whole wounded healer thing that you're getting at is so true because I was a young girl in my late 20s when I started in the health and fitness industry. But now I can recognize in others this type of mentality that I had back then too, because you can yeah. see, like you said, the bodybuilder on the beach and, you know, the whole thing going, you know, and that's all fine and good, but we can't as healers and teachers, we can't truly help and heal others. Unless to your point, we've already traversed that path yeah. on our own because, you know, it's gnosis with a G, right? I mean, how effective are you going to be if you haven't experienced something. It's like saying to someone, God forbid that lost child. Oh God, it must be horrible. Well, that's why there's support groups, right? With other people who've also lost children because no one really knows. How does anyone know what it's like to have twins, two babies, not just one, right? Unless it's another mother of twins, you can imagine. Well, the same thing goes for everything in life is truly the people that are the most effective, like Paul, back to Paul. You can't bullshit Paul on stuff because he's been through it. Like, you know, he'll just call you on it because he knows because he did the same thing, you know, and he can tell when someone's just kind of talking around something. And that goes for any gifted healer who's really walked the path. So I think that's where wisdom comes in. It doesn't always come with age, but it usually does just because, you know, time in life takes experience, right? It just takes time, you know, like to go through all these different things usually doesn't happen before you're 20. I know for me that that's what it was. And I can now see in younger generations, you know, stuff because I'm in a different vantage point now, you know, which is cool because, you know, Nathan, I feel like, you know, I know we can talk about rites of passage and stuff because I know that's a topic both you and I enjoy. It's important because our generations of this day and age, they don't have positive role models, you know, and the rites of passage is just missing in our culture. And these are important portals of transitional periods in our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual development that are just missing now. And people are subconsciously or whatever looking for them. And we need our wise elders and it's like, where are they? Well, most of them are trying to be 20, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah, the fake boobs, the injections, yeah. the like, I need to be that maiden. I think that this is a nice time to get into some of those transitions in life. So go continue. We'll flow it into there. Yeah, well, I guess I was just saying that I hope someday I aspire to be wiser as I grow older. I used to always grow for or grow or pray or intend to grow in love. And being the love, not just feeling it and giving it, receiving it, receiving it was something I had to include in my prayers because I was really not very good at that. Do you think there's a worthiness aspect to that? Totally, totally. I mean, the, like back to the fitness thing, you know, because I was overweight when I was in my late 20s. So, so I was also the athlete, but I was kind of like the chunky one, yeah. cute, chubby one, you know? <laughs> But it was in the 80s when I started teaching aerobics that I really kind of got in shape. Leaned and out. And I noticed yeah. how the whole world taught me, treated me differently. 
So yes, worthiness was a loaded issue for me. And, you know, the earning it and all that. I think everybody goes through that in some regard, whether it even just be you're a mom and feeling like you're worthy because you're a quote unquote good mom. And then your kids are out of the nest. And then it's like, oh crap, who am I now? Yeah. And you get codependent because you're like, you want your kids to need you, but now who are you without them? You know, so pick your lane. We all go through it in some regard of, okay, well, who am I as an independent soul? And just my value as a soul that came here incarnate on earth without doing anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how's that for a concept? Right, right. You speak so eloquently about this that I don't even want to say anything in order to distract from what you just said. I mean, that's such a critical point for people. And yes, we were gifted. We were vested with this body. So what can we do with this body? It's not just lifting weights and getting lean and looking pretty and staying in that maiden archetype, you know, if you're a female. Is there more to this? And one of the classic examples I can give is I have more and more couples coming to me at every age with fertility concerns. Now, whether or not they're actually not able to get pregnant is not really the question. The question is, are you ready for this transition? And nine times out of 10, they haven't even thought about the transition. My wife even had to have me say it out loud. Things are going to change. And I know that sounds totally crazy when people hear that. But it was like, you know, we're just going to fold them into our life. We're going to keep going to festivals and we'll just find a babysitter. And she's like, babe things are going to change. Please say it out loud. Repeat after me. <laughs> it does not feel good to me to think that you're going to continue doing all of the stuff. I was a really good rock climber and I wanted to get more into surfing. And we were out in San Diego when we first got pregnant. And I was like, this is before we got pregnant, but I was like, okay, yeah, things are going to change. And saying the words, putting those words into our relationship has a profound impact because then all the fear set in. Then all of the hesitation and apprehension set in. Like, do we really want kids? Do I want to really want kids? I don't know if I want to change. But now I that like the my world... life the way it is now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And that's not to say that transitions can't be beautiful, but you are going to go through transitions, regardless of how badly you want to hold on to, you know, with that kung fu grip to your old self. Even the birthing process itself is a you are dying and being reborn as a mother, as a father, as a unit. And this baby, of course, is now being brought into life and you have to keep this little kiddo alive. So, I mean, apart from teaching them how to be a good person and everything else, but let's talk a little bit about the transitions in life as a woman. When we spoke on the phone yesterday, you broke it down into four archetypes. I'm not going to spoil it. So just why don't you run us through those? Because this is, I think, really critical for what I do in women's healthcare. Yeah. And then we can get into the rites of passage as well. Which yes, is please. Related. So most people have heard of the triple goddess. If you visualize the three phases of the moon, the waxing moon, the full moon, the waning moon, you know, the dark moon, the new moon, although that's, that's a little convoluted because, you know, most people don't know there's a difference between the dark moon and the, and the new moon, by the way, because the dark moon is actually three days and the new moon is the second day of the dark moon. And that's something we talk about in my women's group because it's very important. It's a critical time of letting go for women. But basically in the female psyche, there's what's thought of as the three phases of womanhood, which is also, again, the triple goddess, the three phases of the moon, as well as the three phases of one woman's life of passage, which is, you mentioned one, the maiden, the mother, and the crone or the wise woman. Now the word crone has been a stick for me because I just haven't liked that word. But when I researched it, I found that the root origin of the word 
means crown. So, of course, back in the day, it was revered, it was respected, it was admired, it yeah. was looked forward to. We like worshipped our this, elders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was wise. So wise woman. So those three phases are very critical. And usually that is the trajectory of a woman's life. However, as you and I spoke about, which is amazing because you, me, and our mutual friend, the amazing, beautiful Nicole Devaney, also a Czech practitioner. You should introduce me to her, by the way. I've never oh, met her. Okay, yes. Yeah, You've got to have her on your show. She's just one of us, my friend. Let right me tell on. you. She just, <laughs> I can't wait to work with her one day. Yeah. We're going to definitely do goddess retreats together. I will definitely hook you up with her. But she was on my show. I think it was maybe 72 or no, episode 90, I think she was. Yeah, I remember because it was a nine. And okay, so we talked about, we both thought that there should be four phases of the feminine cycle. There should be the maiden, the mother, a third phase, which would either be, according to Nicole, she called it the empress. I called it the warrior or the queen, and you called it the queen because you came up with it too. And then of course, the crone or the wise one is the fourth. So the three of us independently everyone which is super cool and i'm sure we're not the only ones in the whole planet well, Sarah Gustafson, let's also remind everybody sarah is also doing a lot of archetypal work and oh. she might even have a different variation so we'll have to ask her incorporate and that she in. was on my show twice you know what we should do we should do a group podcast we should how about yeah. we just all go hang out together <laughs> that's even better have an awesome meal i mean that would be fun too we can record it but let's anytime get back anytime. in person well, this, <laughs> this is part of why i can't wait to have yeah. my healing ranch because we'll do that over a weekend but whatever anytime i'm down for that night or day but anyway nathan i thought it was cool as you mentioned that you and i and nicole and sarah and probably others came up with this idea that this is missing one. Like this is missing a very critical part of a woman's life experience. These are potentials, you know, of that warrior empowered empress queen, whatever you want to call it phase where she's sovereign. She has sovereignty. And that is critical because I don't know about you, but that really is one of the goals I have in my life is for physical, emotional, spiritual, mental sovereignty. And it doesn't mean independence as in like you're an island. No, it just means you have the agency of yourself. And in the Greek myths, they refer to the goddesses as the virgin goddesses. But when they're talking in the mythology and the Jungian culture, when they refer to a virgin goddess, just so people know, it's not sexual, it's not literal, it's symbolic, and it's virginal in the fact that she is independent. She is dependent onto herself. She has sovereignty. So Artemis was considered a virgin goddess, and she's the goddess of the hunt and the mm. moon. And she's she, the one that she you was, always see in these sexy busts. Yeah. Yeah. She was basically Diana, who was Wonder Woman. That's Artemis. She was considered a virgin goddess. And actually, Arthur Aphrodite, just get off a tangent, but she was the only alchemical goddess, according to Dr. Jean Shinoda Bolin, who was on my show, an amazing Jungian psychologist who coined that term because Aphrodite, just a little side note, was very unique in that she was vulnerable. Basically, there's two camps the virgin goddesses, which were sovereign and unique kind of our warrior queen type that you and I were referring to. Yeah. And then you have the vulnerable goddesses, which are more the maiden types, which are the Demeter and uh, Hera, who's one of the wife, the wife of Zeus. 
That's amazing. You just heard my episode I did on the history of Western medicine, witches and women healers. There's quite a bit of mythology. Like the changes to our cosmologies have had a more profound impact on how we relate to one another, especially how we value or devalue women in society. It's all tied into the history of our cosmologies, which is why I think it's so important to bring this into the conversation. So continue. This is awesome. Well, actually, <laughs> I have a question for you. So when you're, can you expand on that a little bit just to explain what you mean by how it's the cosmology affects us in modern day? Yeah, sure. And this isn't actually going to go as woo-woo as maybe people want it to be. But if we look back to like, let's say ancient Sumer, ancient Denmark, you know, some of our earliest written human history, we had female deities, we had bisexual deities, we had androgynous deities. We had deities that were sexual in their nature. And I don't mean sexual again, like we're talking about, you know, intercourse or anything else. But it was back then that these female deities, given their inextricable link to nature, to fertility, to this creative force of the cosmos being birth, that this was something to be worshipped. This power, the magic, and really even as we watch the evolution of women healers over time, the source of a woman's power was her sexuality. And we are not talking, again, everybody, like, get it out of your heads. I'm not just talking about, you know, let's have sex, you know, pornography or anything else. Sex magic. It was this creative force of the cosmos was expressed itself through women. And that was enough for us to worship women. So much so that we figured our deities after them. But then as we saw over time, especially when Christian theology really took over most of the world, we saw that change from a largely polytheistic, a lot of female deities, to a sort of dyadic mother-father, even in early Christian sects. And then not long after that, we had the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then you had Mary worship, where we actually had the woman kneeling to her son in worship. And that was kind of what cemented, I think, the path to where we find ourselves now, where we have a taboo around sexuality, a taboo around fertility and birth. We even have a taboo around death because the female deities were so inextricably linked with nature. And if now with Christian theology taking its sort of throne, so to speak, if women are connected to nature and men could be granted the knowledge as to how to control nature, antibiotics, antihistamines, surgeries, you name it, men were now able to control women. And that Mary worship period was kind of sealed the fate of women being inferior to men over time. And we see it in the healing practices above all. We see it in how we attend to birth. It's this a desperate effort to control nature, which is really just symbolic of controlling the feminine. Nathan, that's so cool. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it's quite a fascinating, I think, story there, which is why when you bring up conversations around cosmologies, it fits right into this. Like this is a really important part of our mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being is how do we even craft the divine? What is the image of the divine? It's a man in the clouds separate from Mother Earth, separate from Gaia, from Pachamama, from Prithi, like all of these incredibly powerful female deities were replaced by one single deity that is not within Earth, but above and outside of Earth, domaining over the feminine. Powerful. Yes. And even the Holy Trinity excludes a female essence. 
It's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. There's no female entity in that Trinity. And, you know, I have an episode about that too. We talk about just not to the depth and intelligence that you just said, but we get into that a little bit about in my episode on feminine spirituality, because there's a big disconnect for a lot of women in deep gnosis, again, with the G of their spirituality, because we're brought up in the Christian cultures to think of God, the father, but we're not a man. So how do I relate to that essence? And then forget about all the watching you judgmental, you're yeah. gonna, you know, yeah. going to go to hell and total perversion. Let's just yeah. not forget about how women are the root of all evil, by the way, because we were the one that tempted men and pulled them from the Garden of Eden. So our punishment was pain and childbirth and periods mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, and we're the temptress and all that. But Nathan, are you familiar with the book, The Magdalene Manuscripts? Yes, I have okay. it. I have it. I haven't finished yes. reading it. When I started reading it, I was so distracted with pregnancy. We were pregnant with our second that I just wasn't able to contextualize it appropriately. In a book like that, I wanted to be able to really absorb it. So I'm saving it for one of those trips where I have one book to read and I can take my time and just peel through it. But tell me, what was a a takeaway maybe? It's deep. I haven't finished it yet. Like you, I can only take it in small doses because it's so deep for me. The ramifications... I also struggle, like another great book is When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone, the classic. You know, I mean, I struggle because I like justice and freedom for all. And again, sovereignty. It's your life. You do what you want. I'm not one judge, you know, as long as you're not Uh hurting others type thing. It's just, you know, all this stuff that was done, you know, in the name of God, the millions of murders and look at the witch hunts and all this crazy. The, the, what's witch that? Hunts. The book you reference in your the manuscript there, Maleficent. Oh, the Malleus Maleficarum, the hammer of the witches. About this Ma- thick, Malif- Amy, about yep. six inches thick as I to how it. a woman, mostly women and children were killed then, could be tried, what you could bring them to trial for, and how to actually perform the execution. Sick, written by and two you're sons. Yeah, in the th- name of God. In the name of God. You know, and it was written by two reverends who were the sons of Pope Innocent VIII. Go figure. I mean, this is really... So much for the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Though, yeah. Thinking, Thou shall not kill. I mean, I just don't even get it. The whole thing is very confusing to yeah. me. But for the Mary Magdalene manuscripts, I was horrified, Nathan, to learn, because I was raised Christian, Catholic, and I went to Catholic school. And I was horrified to learn that Mary Magdalene, who everyone is now calling a prostitute, right? She actually had a gospel. We weren't taught that. We didn't learn her gospel. We didn't learn her teachings. She was known as Jesuits with Jesus, his sole companion partner. And the term was, I actually wrote it down. It's Kyanos, K-O-I-N-O-N-O-S, which means sole companion partner. Kyanos, hmm. Yes, I'm sure it's probably in, written in. It's probably a yep. Hebrew term. In the Gospel of Thomas and Peter, they refer to her as she was his partner in teaching and implementation, as well as in love and in life. That she was an equal to him. That they were a partnership because she was a priestess, and her mother was a priestess. So she was trained in a lineage of spiritual alchemy and practices and ritual. She wasn't just like the girl in the corner that, you know, this spiritual dude hook up with. I mean, they were partners and they matched each other in their capacities. And to your point, back then they had a 
understanding, a respect, a reverence for the female physical body being the portal to the divine. And that both were equally as important, though. It's not that the man was some schlump, you know, and the woman was this, you know, perfect angel. It wasn't that. It was just you needed the two to come together in equal respect and importance. But that a lot of Jesus's, I don't want to say capabilities, but a lot of his, well, I guess abilities was through his alchemy, his connection, his communion with her, because she actually, according to this book, taught him a lot of stuff, which of course he had his own abilities and whatnot, of course, as divinely. But according to these passages that are now, you know, long been destroyed, although they did find one version of Magdalene's gospel that they did recover, which is how we know all this stuff. But a lot of it was burned and destroyed because they just, you know, didn't want people to you know, have the power within themselves. They wanted to have the power go through the church. Yeah. I also wonder a little bit about the Bible, of course, has been translated, revised, you know, parts omitted, parts added. I mean, it was always a means of controlling the masses. Interpretation, of Mm -hmm. course. Huge. Koinonos, it strikes me as a Greek term, but the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So at what point did that term get, was that actually found in the Old Testament, in the Gospels? That's kind of what my question is. And if so, when was it added? When was that interpretation made? Or maybe it was something that had originally been omitted. And then when it was translated into Greek, they put it back in. Like, I wonder. Yeah. It's an interesting history, the the Bible is. Well, I think it's exactly to your point. I mean, probably it was something like they interpreted it as like, okay, they're talking about soul partners and, you know, they're basically quote unquote married, you know, so somewhere along the line, someone applied that term. (laughs) Oh, that just means soulmates. Yeah. 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 So that's interesting. The chronology. Yeah. But I guess I think the bigger point that you and I are getting at is that this important equal role of the feminine this critical equal role that in the egalitarian societies and, you know, like the book, The Chalice and the Blade with Elaine Reisner and her work showing these egalitarian societies that, and even, you know, in the biogeometry training, we talk about that in advanced training with the netters. They were called the netters, which were basically the nature gods, which were the feminine force. So the Egyptians knew about this stuff and, you know, that this is very, very powerful stuff, but there was always the masculine feminine, because we know that when they come together, we have spirit, we have unity, we have consciousness, we have creation, we have movement. Yes. You, know, you need yeah. the two. The polarity. Yeah. yeah it's hard go. to argue yeah. that. It's hard to mm-hmm. argue that. That is this creative force of the cosmos that I'm describing requires a polarity. There's no voltage. And this is, again, back to Paul Check. Gosh, that guy's done a lot. <laughs> but his, you know, like if love is this creative force, we need a polarity here. We need an anode and a cathode, a negative and a positive charge. Like a battery. Like a battery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 100%. Which is, and, you know, back to what our point was earlier that I think all of us are trying to navigate, Nathan. You know, I know for me, my battery was out of balance. I was all positive, you know, and let me tell you, positive led to negative because that's what happens is nature absorbs a vacuum and it's going to balance out that pendulum. So I was way on one side. I had the seesaw, I had to go way the other side, which I really didn't do is one of the things that Paul, when he first started coaching me at asked me to do was to like rest and take time off. And I didn't do that officially because I kind of started a podcast, but compared to my scheduled time, I did back off a lot. And to this day, I still will do things. I take breaks, 
in the middle of the day, I take my dog for a walk just because my brain's going to blow up from too much stuff on my plate. Or sure. I now I started a little habit of trying to eat my meals outside with the birds with no technology, little things, you know, and I think that's key for everybody is we're all so busy. We all tend to probably, if you're listening to our shows, probably like to be achievers and we tend to get a little overwhelmed. Well, how do we make it a lifestyle? Sneaking in the little things, you know, like I said, I started just little things, eating my meals outside, no technology in the middle of the day. I'll take a walk for 20 minutes with my dog, no technology. I have a strict, like turn off my phone at nine o'clock at night, you know, think little things like that. But let me tell you, they add up. Yeah. Beautiful. And something I think that is sort of related to this work, we're going to save a piece of this conversation around continuing to work on oneself, looking in the mirror of Aphrodite. When you worked with Emily Abbott, who's now a mutual friend of ours, let's put a pin in that part because I want to finish with that. Before we get to that, I also want to talk a little bit about rites of passage. We brought it up a little bit earlier. Let's just talk about rites of passage. What comes to mind for you when we think about the lack of ceremony and ritual in our lives? That how my father used to always say, the older I get, the faster time goes. And I don't know where time goes, Amy. And now I find myself saying that. And my point is, Nathan, that I feel like without putting pins in significant stages and periods of our lives, our life is just one continual rolling down the hill. You know what I mean? We never take that moment out. So again, Aphrodite, pause, reflect, process, integrate, takes a beat, requires a breath, requires stopping. You can't take in new until you let go and make room for it, right? So back to the phases of the moon, the dark new moon is the time to let go. You have to let go stuff you don't want anymore, the relationship, the job, you pick it you know, to make room for the new, better one. Because if you're hanging on, like, you know, the monkey bars, you're hanging on to one bar while you're reaching for the other, you got to let go of one so you can really grab the new one. And you got to, back to your point about being uncomfortable with uncertainty, like so many of us are, but life requires courage. You know, life requires bravery. That's the heroine's journey. That's the hero's journey. You got to go out. You got to leave the ship. Ships were not meant to stay in the port, right? Right. So anyway, what I'm getting at is I feel like in our culture, we have lost these rites of passages. And in all cultures across time, they've always had these ceremonial times of marking big periods of growth or they were the physical or cultural rites of passages. So we have physical ones like birth. So taking your first step your first period, or for men, your first time you have to shave. These are all rites of passages. Your first sexual experience, if you give birth as in labor, but also a creative project, any time of gestation is a period of birth. It doesn't have to be a physical baby. And then of course, menopause and death. Okay. These are all rites of passages. And then we have cultural ones like in Christian baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist. These are all rites of passages where there's a ceremonial acknowledgement, a, a ritual, if you will, like marking this really symbolic, significant time of a passage of period in your life. Marriage is another rites of passage. First prom. Sure. You know, these are all cultural rites of passages. But the thing that we have to remember is that 
in every culture, this was an important period of initiation of an individual soul's evolution to the next stage of their development. And again, it was something that was marked because it was important to mark. It was important not to just rush by at 900 miles an hour while you're texting and driving and eating and thinking about doing your laundry and what you have to do tomorrow. You know, this was important to take a pause and go through a formal practice. And, you know, even just the girl's first period, the whole tribe would participate in that. It was a ceremony. It was a celebration of her passage from maidenhood to her womanhood and her ability to create and bring life. And then she would commune with the wise elder women in the tribe because the women taught the women. Women taught the women how to be women and men taught the men. And the interesting thing about the rites of passage for men and women were history shows that the female rites of passage, Nathan, interestingly enough, were more celebratory. Like, hey, you know, you got your first period, it's amazing, congratulations, you're a woman. Dance it out. Yeah, you know, your wedding, whatever. And men, for the men's rites of passage, they were often more physically grueling because they had two important objectives different than the females. They were to strengthen the man's character, physical and emotional character, and also to help teach him to channel his aggression. So now for young boys, without having these formal rites of passage, which are acknowledged, celebrated, taught, they seek them out subconsciously, maybe through gangs or whatever, like bad places. Video games. I mean, even sports. Look at how popular sports are. And everybody's like, who the hell cares about sports? It's because men don't have any rite of passage any longer. They need to go out there on the gridiron and show how big and mad and fucking fierce they can be with the ball in their hands and they're going to run over the other enemies you know and all the men in the crowd are like yeah because they're craving it yeah my wife just said something interesting it's funny that we just had this conversation yesterday she's like every single month is a rite of passage for a woman at least during your reproductive years you're cycling you've got the cramping you got some bleeding you are literally shedding the old and bringing in the new. And that's why perhaps if a woman was in charge, we wouldn't have a lot of the issues we have, which are so divisive. Women are like, we can take a step back. We've gone through some rites of passage. We don't need to go out there and seek war in order to prove ourselves or to transition to manhood necessarily. Like we're good. Now I'm generalizing here, but there's some really interesting nuance in here that is not really appreciated in a civilized, comfortable life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally see what you're saying. And, you know, the more I've studied back on the history of this and I apply it to what's going on in our modern world, I see like, yeah, I think collectively as a human race, our psyches, our subconscious, our souls are looking for these moments of significance. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that what it's all about? I mean, it's right. probably even what plant medicine, we're all looking for these experiences you know, that are going to mean something, you know, that are, we're going to feel, we're going to feel something, you know, that's meaningful to us, you know, so, and we're looking for that connection and give meaning to life, you know, and I think that's a big root of a lot of people's 
angst and depression, anxiety, like what the hell is all this the, for? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. yeah. What's the every day is groundhog day. I struggle with that myself. You know, it's another day I do all this shit, do it, get on the weekend, do my laundry and shop and then and do it again on Monday. And we all go through it, you know? And that's why I'm grateful I've gotten this point in my life because one thing I've learned, like my father died virtually young. He was only 72 and he had a huge funeral, a huge wake. And the thing that, and we were very close. And the thing that impacted me probably even more than his death was the reaction of all the people who came to the wake of the funeral, what their sentiments about my dad. So what I learned indirectly from my dad and his death was And again, I got my workaholism from my dad too. But at the end of the day, it's about relationships. That's what it's all about. It's about the connection of in life, the moments we share together. Because when you think back on your life of the good things, I mean, were you alone? (laughs) You probably were on some cool trip with your, I don't know, a friend out or a family or a birth or I don't know, some, you know, girls night out or whatever it was, a birthday hang gliding, whatever. I mean, you probably, how fun would it be if you have no one to share it with? You know, I think of being successful, rich, famous, who cares, pick your thing. And you're alone. You're alone on the beautiful mansion on the hill. Big deal. You know, so. Right, right. In the day that the meaning comes from the shared collective experience. And that brings us back to the rituals of the acknowledgement from our people that, wow, way to go. You're now a woman, you're now a man, you're on to this next phase. And now you can also teach the ones coming after you. And because have you heard of the grandmother hypothesis? I don't know. It depends on what you're referring to. Probably some variation of what you're saying, but I don't want to say something and it'd be totally wrong. So tell me your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's a social and anthropological term that they coined when they discovered that through evolutionary times when humans lived beyond just the reproductive years and lived long enough to be grandmothers, so therefore went through menopause, Ah. that the species evolved because the grandmothers, they were no longer fertile. They were the ones that then raised the children and they were the story keepers. They were the wisdom keepers of the tribes. They were the ones who kept the stories going and teaching the the myths and everything to the younger generations, the wisdom of how to you know harvest the crops and how to follow the moon cycles. They were the teachers. And it was that time when the people lived long enough to pass on the earned wisdom right. that things exponentially started really advancing culturally. And, you know, the younger women were busy being pregnant or raising the newborns, the infants. But again, the toddlers, the adolescents, those were raised by the older generations. So that's called the grandmother hypothesis, if anybody wants to look it up. And not for nothing, but the only other mammals that have the grandmothers are whales and elephants. No kidding. Cool, huh? That is super cool. Yeah, because they live long too. Yeah, it also brings something to mind. There's this very prolific thinker named Stephen Jenkinson. He's kind of on the same caliber of, as Charles Eisenstein for me, and I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years. And he has a school called the Orphan Wisdom School. And one thing, I don't want to paraphrase him too much because he, he goes way deeper into this than I could just in paraphrasing. But the essence of one of the, you know, some story I read in one of his books was that we are living in a patriarchal society, but we, have no father. 
There's something really important about that. And we're not saying that there are no good men, that there's too many single moms. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is we don't have any elders, yet we have a society based on a patriarchy that it's steeped in ageism. So if we're going to remain in a patriarchal, hierarchical societal structure and discard our elders, this is actually the primary issue with how we're living our lives in the United States, but it's in many parts of the world. So it poses a pretty big dilemma for us based on everything you've just said, especially if our elders live longer when they're involved in raising our kin. Because not only do they benefit, but our children benefit from grandma and great-grandma's wisdom. Instead, it's like, oh, you guys are just old. You know, just go watch your Jeopardy, grandma. And, you know, Mm. of course they die. They die alone. They get these neurodegenerative issues. They stop moving. They become cemented in their recliner chair. And they die very sad and lonely deaths in many regards. Not everybody, guys. I'm just saying it happens more than you would think, given the rich history of, you know, I told you my story about taking down my mask and losing my job back in September. Best thing I ever could have done. I lost my job. I went off onto my own, just like you did back in September of last year. So by the time this episode comes out, probably around a year ago. And I was getting to know this guy. He was 95. He's got, you know, whatever. He's got heart failure, whatever it is. But this is the middle of the COVID pandemic. And I go in there. I take my mask off, rub lotion on his hands and feet, get to know him. Like I even hugged him at one point. I mean, he just hadn't seen a face, let alone had somebody touch him and love him in this way. And his family wasn't able to visit. This is medicine. I was providing him the best therapeutic possible. And I don't know what happened to him because the next day I got fired because somebody reported me for taking down my mask. So 95 years and your legacy is I'm just going to die alone in this nursing facility where people are afraid to touch me because they're going to give me cooties. And they used to say pneumonia is an old man's best friend. Well, this was a very sorry example of how we do not appreciate the wisdom and the legacy work, the wisdom and through the legacy work we could be doing with these older people, you know, whether it's a family member or just an elder in our community. Back then, this guy would have been one of the elders in the community. It's not a big city out here in Louisville. But instead, he's locked away here, and we're not even letting people see him. No talking, no communication. He's just locked away in his cell. What that a sad is state. Horrible. That yeah. sounds like prison. That's like how you torture a prisoner. You Might put as him well in solitary be. confinement. I mean, that's so sad because, like you, I've studied a lot Native American cultures. And as you know, they have such a respect for the quote unquote wise elders. And even in the tribes, I mean, they weren't allowed to speak if an elder was speaking or present in the room, they had to be given permission if they were younger chronologically than someone else to speak if that other person was even there. I mean, there was such a respect for the wise elders. And, you know, that makes me think of, to me, one of the things that's the saddest human condition is feeling invisible and like you don't matter. And I think that's a problem for the older generation is feeling invisible, particularly, I don't know, you'll have to tell us about a male experience, but like for females, you know, young, attractive, I mean, youth now is the deity in our culture, you know, young 20 year old female body with beautiful skin and shiny, long, full hair and the whole deal, you know, but, and then for women, as we get older, you kind of get invisible, so to speak, or less, you know, attention. And it's like, oh God. And that's, this is hence the whole anti-aging industry trying to, you know, stay looking 25 when you're really 55. But 
to your point, I think that no one would want to feel invisible. At the end of the day, we all just want to feel acknowledged and, and valued and just seen. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. I appreciate you. I might not agree with you, but I acknowledge you. You know, like I see you look someone in the eyes and listen to them. And you might not like what you're hearing all the time, you know, but I think there's amount of like human compassion that's necessary in that regard. Yeah. Hopefully that'll start changing though. Cause like, you know, people like you and me, all we need is a group of people feeling this way to start including these wise elders, because you know, if God willing, we'll all be one of them one day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as we have these conversations, I think that's the reason that we have these conversations is just to give other people permission to feel authentically into some of these truths. And that is that your grandmother should be the most important person in your life. Now, it doesn't matter what your relationship is with her. There still needs to be some reverence for those people who have been here for 85 years. And without that reverence, nothing else can kind of succeed that. That's where we start. And yes, there might be reasons you don't like your grandma or you can't be with your grandma or whatever else. But if grandma is a representation of elders in general, we've lost the reverence for our elders. And that is something that hopefully we can shift with time. I certainly know that that's a part of our conscious parenting with our little girls. My mother drives me nuts. And her husband, Paul, drives me nuts at times. But there is still a need for reverence for her. Of course. And that's yeah. my journey. That's my issue. If I get frustrated with her or whatever else, it is your job as a parent to remind your kids that yes, it frustrates me, but this is a woman worthy of worship. And that's hard. It's hard in our society because we don't really seem to practice that as a collective. That takes a lot of presence and maturity for someone to get that point. So yeah. kudos to you. I think too that <laughs> Still it's working cool. On it. <laughs> to, well, you know, hey, at least it's in your radar. But I think too, another cool thing with the elderly is, you know, ask them questions. Ask them questions. Ask them, you know, what was it like growing up for you? Or have you ever had this experience? Or what do you think about this? Sometimes just giving them that voice of like, that's demonstrating respect. You're even caring what their opinion, their viewpoint is like, makes them feel important. makes them feel valued. Like, oh, you care what I think? Like, it doesn't mean you're going to agree. It just means you're being asked. It's like someone asking you, Nathan, what do you think about taking this or whatever? What do you think about home birth? I mean, just being asked your opinion is basically a form of flattery that someone basically thinks enough about you to care what you, your take on it is. So I think that's a way of loving people. I think so too. You know, just asking them questions. I mean, telling their story or their experience, because God knows you might learn something. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Amy, we've got a couple more minutes left. I want to make sure I cover one more topic. And this gets back into the yin and yang. You have lived your life in a very masculine dominant state, as many of us have. This has nothing to do with your gender, your genotype. We're talking about how have you focused your energy, your life force. And it has been like a mindset. Yeah. It's the mindset. It's the, how you show up was in the masculine through athletics, businesses, et cetera. As you've started shifting to the feminine and really trying to nourish the yin, as we described, you told me a little bit about some of your work with a friend of ours, Emily Abbott, who's a former high level CrossFit athlete who has shifted. She's been on my podcast. I don't think I've published her episode yet, if I'm mistaken, but she and I got connected through my work and she's, you know, doing a lot of 
pelvic floor work and embodiment work, especially for female clients. So you worked a little bit with her. Would you mind talking a little bit about what that was like and how confronting maybe it was for somebody who isn't used to nourishing that feminine side? Yeah. Well, the interesting thing, uh, and she was on my show too, thanks to you, because Paul hooked me up with her because you hooked him up with her. And, you know, this is how it all goes, right? But she was great. We had a great episode, but I did hook up with her physically, literally face to face, my last visit with Paul recently. And it's interesting timing because if I had hooked up with her a few years back when I first started this journey, Awakening Aphrodite, it would have been a very different experience. Hell to the no. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, surprisingly, I wonder how different, because to be honest, the experience I did just recently have with her was more like I would have expected it to be three years ago. Oh, really? I don't know if that made any sense, but I think because we're talking about physical, so meeting her emotionally, spiritually, fine, no problem. We gelled. Like she's another one that I intend to work with shoulder to shoulder one day with women's retreats and courses, but I had her work with me personally on the holistic pelvic massage. Cause as you said, that's her, another part of her work. And it's internal massage. Yes. Ooh. And external. And she external. pretty much touched every part of me. And I was very surprised, Nathan, to be honest, that I had the physical reactions that I was having just recently. And I would have thought my body was further along and more, what's the word? I don't want to say more open to it. I guess just softer, receiving it, more comfortable being super vulnerable. Now, granted, it might have been because I had never met this woman. I heard about her. I met her. Next thing you know, I'm buck naked on some mattress <laughs> in someone's room and she's touching me all over, you know, in every orifice possible, you know, so Good that might have been part of it. Yeah. But I was surprisingly, you know, just what's the word? I don't want to say rigid, but just like I wasn't as flowy as I would have kind of thought, given my emotional, spiritual work I've been doing on myself. But I guess that's a good thing. And the bigger picture, as you and I have spoken about, is I was proud of myself for even doing it because the former me, it just would have been way too vulnerable, way too, I don't know, weird, the whole deal. But I'm in, you know, I'm all in. I'm not joking around. Like I'm all in for fully integrating everything that Great Spirit made me to be. I want to poke every orifice. I want to open every door. I want to unearth every crack every nook, every cranny. I want to suck the juice out of this thing when I'm gone. And I want to say I lived my life to the fullest I could live. So I have discretion saying yes and no, but I don't like saying no to things that certainly scare me, like back to our initial yeah, conversation. Right. It can't be I'd... just the fear alone. Yeah. That is the only yeah. reason you say no. Yeah. I hear you there. And the uncomfortableness and back to the uncertainty. I mean, the whole thing and the embarrassment, the shame and the whole thing. And then you got the body stuff, which you deal with all the time, you know, mm. the body shape, smell, order, whatever, look, feel, pick it, right? We all have our mental loops of like uh, the judgment and the who knows. But, but anyway, so I don't know if that's the long way of answering. It was a surprising experience for me. I guess I didn't happen the way I thought it would. I thought it was going to be, frankly, more like pleasurable for me, but it was still very instructive because it was what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was valuable. And again, the bigger picture was I was proud of myself for giving myself that gift and being brave 
and going there. You yeah, know? I'm proud of you too. Because if I put myself on that table, it has nothing to do with even what the practice is. It's being exposed, being vulnerable in that way. Exactly, exactly. And somebody's going to go inside of your body as well. I mean, gosh, when we talk about birth a lot, it's people putting their hands in places without getting consent. I mean, you paid this person money, Emily, money to do a therapeutic technique that she's trained to do. And she did everything as gently and compassionately as possible. And it was still confronting. So then women go into a hospital and somebody shoves their hand in their vagina or they go to the GYN clinic and somebody shoves a cold speculum in without any preparation, no eye contact, no acknowledgement that there's a person in front of me. It's just a a body. A body. I'm going to shove this thing in there and open it up and, you know, sit still or whatever, move your butt closer. I mean, it's like we have to appreciate how sacred this process is and how compassionate we need to be when a person maybe is bringing a lot of trauma into the room and they're laying down and they're asking you to hold them and to take care of them. So it's scary to do what you did. And I also think it's probably scary for Emily knowing, oh my gosh, this is for anybody. This is going to be very confronting. I need to approach this in a delicate way. But the OBGYNs who claim to have domain over a woman's body, even more so than the woman herself, can't seem to wrap their heads around why this is so precious. This is something that needs to be, you know, not tiptoed around, but it needs to be done through the lens of compassion and wanting to care respect, for somebody yeah. and respect. And reverence. And reverence. There's that word again. Yes. And there's, there's a level of implied trust there that is critical. Yeah. And to your point, yes, Emily provided, and we refer to this back with my work with Paul or anybody guiding you in plant medicine or any vulnerable journey, that you have to be in a safe container in order to let go the feminine needs to feel safe you know, in order to be vulnerable because being vulnerable and that's a misconception vulnerable yeah. is passive there's right. a difference between right. receptive and vulnerable and being passive right this is a big confusion with the feminine which leads to a lot of depression in women because they say oh i'm going into my feminine and they withdraw and then they just kind of like do nothing and it's like that doesn't feel good that's called disempowerment okay <laughs> that's not being feminine and receptive but that's another story but to your point yes it must have been scary for emily but she held her responsibility with the utmost professionalism and regard and knew what gift i was giving her and trusting her with my total physical, emotional, exposed vulnerability. And she was extremely gentle and just what you would want a female to be in that essence of soft and asking questions. Is this okay? I'm going to do this. Like you said, telling me beforehand. Now I'm going to put my hands here. Is that all right with you? Getting consent. Yes, it is. Just tell me if it's too much, if it's too this, you know? So she was constantly, you know, getting my temperature, checking in. Is this okay? How yeah. are we doing? And, I love that. and a lot of it for her, she shared with me with her clients was these women have to find their voice too, of the women have to learn to speak up and not please her, which is the example for it all, right? Like not trying to please your partner, whether it be in sex or anything in life, but speaking your voice, like, you know what, your boundary, like, and I had to even at one point tell Emily, you know, and Emily, I think that's enough for today. I just kind of felt like my body was done. She even remarked like, wow, Amy, because I was kind of a little emotional. I was crying a little bit. And she said, you know, 
good for you. A lot of women can't say that, like they don't want to hurt my feelings or whatever. And I was like, good, I'm glad I did something right. <laughs> but, sure. but, you know, speaking up for our needs and not apologizing is a big part of our evolution and finding our voice and standing on our own feet with strength as well as vulnerability. That's right. It was a powerful experience, Nathan. I intend to work with her more. I apparently need more follow-up, but it just was a great experience just for, again, you know, isn't it all about self-awareness? Sure. I needed to be aware that that part of me is a little bit stuck. You know, I'm going to have to, I don't want to say work on it. That sounds so not, I don't know, not cool, but you know what I mean? Just something I'm going to have to start bringing some more awareness and putting more priority attention of my energy that I have to schedule time to nurture that part of me apparently is a little bit blocked. Yeah. You know, I'm going to send a book to you. It's a book called Grounded by a woman named Erin McMorrow. She's a PhD in urban planning of all things. But in her book, she actually combines soil health with femininity and with birth and death and sensuality and combines all of this beautifully. You'd be surprised. It's only 200 pages or something or not even that, but she does this exquisite job of combining a lot of the topics of everything we just covered in our interview all into one, including in my interview with her, you can go back and listen to it. She describes how she uses like wands in order to open her throat, like down her throat to open her throat chakra, to, oh, which is so linked with her. Yeah, right, right. That's a long wand. <laughs> no, to open her throat <laughs> chakra, which is so intimately connected with your sacral chakra. And I just think you guys would really get along well. In fact, she might even be a good podcast guest, but I'll introduce you and, and we'll get Please. all of that sorted outside. What's her last name? McMorrow, M-C-M-O-R-R-O-W. If anybody out there wants to hear an amazing interview, I was so proud of this one. And we went for like two and a half, almost three hours. It I was just like- that one. Yeah. I'll link it in the show description and send you an email as well. I thought for sure I heard yeah. all your interviews. I love your show. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Amy, how can people find you? Tell everybody what they need to know. Great. Well, they can check out my podcast too, which you were on, by the way. I believe it's episode 89. Hey. Dr. Nathan Riley was on Awakening <laughs> Aphrodite. It was phenomenal. And you know we're having you back because we got to get if we gotta finish what we didn't talk about. We didn't have as much time as we have today. So we'll talk about that when we go offline. Yeah, yeah. And I know that was a popular one too. People want you back. But my podcast is Awakening Aphrodite. It's a lovely show. My website is my name where you can get a free mini ebook if you join my email list. And that's just amyfornier.com. And my social media is fitamytv, as well as my YouTube channel, which is Awakening Aphrodite, fitamytv. And I think I'm going to really hold you up to that multiple group podcast. You, me, Nicole. Sarah. Maybe even like Allison Pillow. She's another yeah, one that, that's yeah. right in line with yeah. us. I haven't met Allison either. So yeah, you'd resonate well with her too. So right on. A lot of us. We'll go on a tour. Yeah, we'll go on <laughs> traveling. We'll get like a little school bus or something and travel around talking about archetypes. And I'll you step back it. and I'll just moderate the conversation and throw in little no, quips no, here no. and there we and need some you in there. soundboard <laughs> like, whoa, no, you know. <laughs> no. You got too much wisdom. We need you in there. Thank you, oh, Nathan. Man. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Amy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Amy, thank you for giving me some of your time today, my friend. You are a joy and a gem and such a valuable contributor to these conversations around women's health. If you want to find Amy, you can find her at FitAmyTV on Instagram. She also has an amazing podcast called Awakening Aphrodite 
on which I have been a guest. That's right. Yours truly has been a guest there. Please support Amy, support her work, reach out. I'm sure she would love to connect with anybody who hears this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Like these are important things. There's not a way that your sister-in-law is going to hear about it unless you just, you know, go to your smart supercomputer thing in your pocket and shoot it off to them into the ether. That's a great way to support the show. If you haven't left a five-star review, it takes five seconds to just go there. Bow, five stars. You got it. Help us rise in the rankings. Help us uh, really, really let everybody out there in the podcast world know that we're here. Lastly, of course, if you haven't purchased anything from our sponsors, every little bit of those contributions actually go in to support the production of this podcast. So our three sponsors very quickly again are Full Well Fertility, best prenatal vitamin on the market. They also make a men's virility vitamin. They make a Nourish Nerves tonic for your nervous system, and they make a fish oil. You can save 10% by going to fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10. I'll put all this info in the show notes. You don't have to go and grab a pen. This isn't 1984, you know? Ooh, 1984. Yikes. Um, <laughs> our second sponsor is Organifi. If you want to try their pumpkin spice latte, it's rich in turmeric, lemon balm, functional mushrooms, organic, coconut milk, and of course, allspice, nutmeg, clove, you're going to get the full experience of a pumpkin spice latte, but at a far greater health benefit through its richness in antioxidants and other superfoods. Go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on your purchase of their gold pumpkin spice latte or any other of their amazing products. I drink at least one on a daily basis and hey, I'm feeling pretty good. So why don't you try it and let me know how it goes. Last but not least is Immune Intel HCC. They make a specific blend of mycelia from shiitake mushrooms that will help you clear persistent HPV infections, will help support your immune system with chronic Lyme, for example, with autoimmune conditions, with cancer, et cetera, help boost your immune system, help to enhance the connectivity amongst your immune cells, and you're going to be better off. You're going to live longer. You're going to feel better. If you want to take advantage of their special offer for the show, go to The Medicine, that's without an E, M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com. Go to their, their medicine cabinet on the website and Add this to your cart, Immune Intel HCC. You're not going to regret it. Even one or two months worth of therapy is going to put you a bar above the rest with regards to your pelvic and your overall body health. If you use code BELOVED10, you'll save 10%. And I will put, again, all the details here on my website in the show notes, which, if you don't know, is called Beloved Holistics. Remember that this is not medical advice on this podcast. This is all information, education, entertainment at its finest. But if you do want medical advice, Go to the same website, you'll find the show notes, which is belovedholistics.com. You can join my private contract association. You can hire me as your doc. You can add me onto your care team through my collaborator program in order to provide the best care possible to your female clients and their partners if they're on their fertility journey. You can also buy packages of time and we can work together. I'm getting very, very deep now into pelvic steaming, which is becoming a big, big part of my practice. And I can't wait to share that with you. If you've got any GYN issue, there's probably some indication for pelvic steaming, yoni steaming, it's also called. And even if it's just a part of your routine well woman care, it's such an inexpensive and amazing way to spend time with you, connecting with your pelvis, with your health. And this also goes for men. I do it myself. I've recommended it to male clients and everybody loves it. It's just like another thing that can make you feel good and keep you healthy as long as possible. So find me and everything I do at belovedholistics.com. I think that that's all I got to say today, guys. Thank you so much for your support. Check out our sponsors, make a purchase you're going to love it. I don't align myself with any sponsors that aren't doing things completely in alignment with my work. So I have no qualms about recommending any of these brands. All right, that does it. Our next episode is a doozy. 
Holy smokes, I forgot that Wapio is coming up next. So on episode 94, which comes out a week from today, you're going to hear from Wapio Barlett, who's also known as The Matrona. She has a birth-keeping and wisdom-keeping program called The Matrona. And she is a firecracker of awesomeness. I can't wait for you to hear from her. We talk about COVID. We talk about coping with death and dying. We talk about what does birth keeping look like? What does midwifery even mean anymore? We talk about wisdom keeping and she has invited me to take some of her coursework to audit it. And I am so stoked to be able to share this interview with you. So see you in one week back here on the Holistic Joanne podcast with Wapio Barlett. Take care, everybody. I'll see you then. 